Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 28th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I am your host, Devlin Riggs, and I have a 30-yard dumpster sitting in my driveway right now, preventing me from pulling into my garage. Um, I've spent the last seven days or so uh, with some friends, uh, one of whom is uh, my occasional co-host, Mike Lavazetta, filling in this dumpster with the demolished remains of my previously finished, my previously poorly finished basement. Um, This includes drywall, studs, insulation, and lots of beer cans and porn that have been hidden in my ceiling since the late 1980s. The demolition... Uh, is a challenge, but the dumpster itself has actually been a complete pain in the ass. Uh, Despite having uniform names like 20-yard, 30-yard, 40-yard, apparently no 20, 30, or 40-yard dumpsters have the same dimensions. So company to company, you could be getting a wildly different container for all of your old crap. Not to mention my incorrect assumption that uh, dumpsters are just for blindly dumping things in, thus the name. No, these require very careful consideration of where everything goes and need to be organized sort of like uh, puzzle piece puzzle pieces in order to fit your entire project in because god forbid you have one piece of wood sticking more than an inch above the lip of the dumpster because they won't take it back and will charge you 80 bucks just to come and tell you that needless to say i haven't had much time for the podcast this week so there will be a few stories next week that are laid over from this week uh In any case, uh, you guys probably aren't here to listen to the complexities of dumpster rental, though I am thinking of starting a complexity of dumpster rental podcast if you're interested in co-hosting. You're here to hear about cars, and here are your top stories. New analyses of the lithium market this week are spelling trouble for battery companies, automakers, and consumers. Uh, Autoblog has an excellent deep dive into this subject, but it basically boils down to a supply and demand issue for battery-ready lithium. On the supply side, there's apparently a lot of lithium around, but it needs to be mined, transported, processed, refined, and then transported again to get from the ground to the point where it's ready to be put into a battery for a car. Uh, This process involves a lot of heavy machinery, running unfiltered diesel engines, and it's transported aboard massive freight cargo ships that are completely unregulated in terms of uh, uh, emissions. The process for this is really highly uh, polluting, and uh, it's similar for nickel metal hydride, which is the type of batteries that used to be used in the Toyota Prius. Um, I I summarized uh, for a project for one of my MBA classes, I I proved that the Hummer H2 actually had a lower lifetime carbon emission than the uh, Toyota Prius did just because of all the transportation and processing involved in getting batteries from the ground to the point where they're batteries. Um, In any case, lithium is mined from Australia and South America and can take between three and seven years to get to a state where it's ready to be put into batteries. 
And there are five main companies really processing the lithium, and they are just flat out in production right now and already struggling to meet the demand. Speaking of the demand, with uh, Tesla's, Giga Tesla's Gigafactory rolling and various other manufacturers uh, ramping up production of EVs and even hybrid electric vehicles and plug-ins, batteries are only becoming more common in vehicles. And it's really set to take off in a few years when companies like Volvo and Maserati begin offering electrified versions of every vehicle in their lineup. Although probably only 1.1% of cars sold this year will be electric, that's slated to rise to 9.4% uh, in 2025 and eight years, and then all the way up to 81% in 2050, which is not that far away. Consultants uh, named Roskill estimate that we'll need about 785,000 tons of lithium carbonate equivalent a year by 2025, but producers will uh, expect to experience a 26,000 ton shortfall. Um, other consultants are even more pessimistic, and they suggest prices for lithium are going to jump around 70% over the next three years just because of the difficulty in meeting the demand. So what does this mean uh, to us car people? Well, those affordable electric cars could be more difficult to obtain if the price of lithium starts to skyrocket. Automakers aren't just going to take that on the chin to sell more EVs. The cost will be passed on to consumers, and the more price-sensitive consumers may be pushed off of their trans transition from internal combustion to electric. Then again, by 2050, we could see hydrogen comprise a larger share of the alternative fuel space, or we could have an even better battery technology that goes beyond lithium emerge that uh, reduces the dependence on resources that are difficult to produce and timely and costly like lithium. So while we're getting the Model 3 and the Bolt now, uh, real mass electrification of uh, of the cars on the road could could still be years away, and that could be a really time-consuming and costly transition, not only for consumers, but for car companies as well. Uh, that's it in terms of our top stories this week, so I'm going to delve into some quick hits. Nissan agreed this week to pay almost $98 million to settle a class action lawsuit stemming from their use of the infamous and dangerous Takata airbags. This follows other settlements from Toyota, Subaru, BMW, and Mazda, which collectively sent $553 million back to buyers by way of their very well-paid attorneys. Still yet to settle are Ford and Honda, the latter of which has borne the brunt of the impact from the recalls, with several Honda buyers dying as a result of the airbags deploying. Nissan said that their settlement agreement was in no way an apology or an admission of guilt in the case, but they'll certainly be happy to have it behind them as they move on to probably get recalled for other things instead. Workers in Nissan's Mississippi plant this week voted overwhelmingly to reject United Auto Worker membership after the mudslinging campaign that Bernie Sanders labeled possibly the most anti-union campaign in history. 
and history goes back a long time. Uh, both sides played dirty with uh, Nissan apparently hinting that union membership could cause the plant to close and that workers should just be happy to have a job at all. Meanwhile, UAW pulled the race card claiming that Nissan was discriminating against minority workers and also bought support from local religious and civil rights groups seeking to influence workers' decisions. Turns out it may have been union executives' decision to siphon money from an education fund for Fiat Chrysler workers, which they funneled into the purchase of ridiculously expensive gold pens that may have had more of an impact on the decision. Oliver Schmidt, the Volkswagen executive facing a 169-year prison sentence for his role in the conspiracy to defraud the United States and violate the Clean Air Act, accepted a plea deal this week, which resulted in what I think we'll all agree is a slight modification in the amount of punishment. Instead of 169 years, Schmidt will serve just seven and pay somewhere between 40000 and 400000 well, which shouldn't be a problem for an executive whose salary was probably multitudes higher than that. After time served, he will be deported to Germany, the land of sausage, pretzels, and uh, two months of guaranteed vacation. I don't know how he will survive. Uh, the legend of Dieselgate lives on, though, and it has German automakers shaking in their boots. Uh, not like Das Boot, the submarine, but like actual boot shoes. Anyway, they're scared because diesel vehicles were a German invention and comprise a large portion of sales for each auto manufacturer. And these manufacturers account for about 20% of Germany's industrial revenue, so any major losses will be felt across the entire nation leading to this week's Diesel Summit, wherein manufacturer representatives and policymakers met to discuss possible fixes to prevent diesels from being banned in cities and countries around Europe. The focus was on software that could reduce nitrogen oxide emissions by between 20 and 50% and would only cost between 100 and 150 euro per car, meaning manufacturers could have been doing this all along, but just, you know, weren't. Tesla's Model S 100D has an EPA-estimated 335 miles of range, despite the fact that Elon Musk has always claimed it was capable of more than 1,000 kilometers, when equipped with the right tires, of course. Uh, Tesla owners in Italy decided to prove his theory by equipping low-rolling resistance tires and driving at a miserly 25 miles per hour for more than 29 hours who set a new electric vehicle distance record at 1,078 kilometers, or almost 670 miles, which is really impressive. They used the car's autopilot system to maintain that speed in the center of a lane and kept the air conditioning off to preserve battery. Being summer in southern Italy, I can't imagine that being a fun or good-smelling 29 hours, so hopefully Elon congratulated them with a shower and free interior replacement. Still trying to find someone with a spare billion dollars to spend in order to build their own version of the Gigafactory, Faraday Future announced this week that they've signed a lease on a million-square-foot facility in California to continue their efforts to prove that their FF91 is a definitely, totally real car and worth the dollars you might have spent on an actually real Tesla Model S. Their move in, they move in at the start of next year, provided, of course, the company lasts that long. If they don't, uh, having their employees paint their logo on the building they're not yet leasing will be as presumptuous as it looks to those who have been following this company for a while. Uh, keen to not let Faraday Future grab all the headlines for ridiculous fundraising goals, 
Elon Musk has come out and announced that Tesla is seeking not one, but one and a half billion dollars in order to support Model 3 production. Of course, this sounds similar to Faraday Futures' request, but with a few key differences, including the fact that Tesla has also already produced four different working models and is actively producing and selling the model that they're raising money to support. In a statement, Faraday Futures' CFO Stefan Kraus said, Oh, that's how you business. Uh, a recent Harris poll for Erie Insurance asked drivers what they would do behind the wheel if they had a fully autonomous car. Bearing in mind that many drivers already engage in extracurricular activities while driving, the results aren't exactly surprising. Respondents indicated that they would eat, text, read, watch TV, or sleep while their car ferried them around, all of which I already see pretty much on a daily basis, with maybe the exception of sleeping. The number one activity people said they would do, though, is make telephone calls, which is surprising to me since I didn't think anyone actually did that anymore. Uh, another informal poll by Kelly Blue Book indicated that 57% of drivers expect that their driving skills will suffer as a result of autonomous cars taking over some driving, which is depressing since I didn't think most drivers could actually get any worse. After finalizing their acquisition of autonomous technology company Mobileye this week, Intel announced that they'd be rolling out a fleet of 100 Level 4 autonomous vehicles, meaning the cars would be capable of driving themselves in most conditions. These cars should be on the road in Europe, Israel, and the U.S. later this year, and the fleet will include cars from a variety of manufacturers to prove the technology's agnostic nature. Being agnostic, of course, means the beginning of the end for the companies that produce those Jesus is my co-pilot bumper stickers, so all of those one person is going to have to find a new job here soon. If you thought Nevada was just Las Vegas and desert, you are wrong. Nevada is now the land of justice. Lawmakers recently passed a bill allowing state troopers to fine drivers traveling below the speed limit in the fast lane. And as a daily victim of idiots who feel entitled to travel in a passing lane when doing no passing whatsoever, I applaud Nevada's commitment to punishing slowpokes so the rest of us are permitted to travel at or in the rough general neighborhood of the speed limit. Residents of luxurious Presidio Terrace in the San Francisco Bay Area were distraught this week to learn that their private street was bought by a couple of real estate investors who didn't live in the neighborhood. Apparently, homeowners associations in California have to pay a $14 per year property tax bill every year for a private street in their neighborhood. And Presidio Terrace hadn't been paying their bill since the 1980s because the bill was getting sent to the wrong accountant. The new owners are considering how to capitalize on their new $90,000 investment, with one of the options being charging residents for parking, which, as you can imagine, went over super well with residents who already ridiculously overpaid for their modest million-dollar houses. In non-autonomous news, the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute apparently dressed up one of its students as a car seat and had him drive around Arlington, Virginia last week just to see how people would react when faced with new technology in the real world. The answer, though, is not good because people started freaking out about it, which got local news team mobilized to track down and confront the car. When the news team found him, apparently the driver also freaked, ran a red light to get away from the reporter. 
while the results of the research have not been released yet, I think the tests help prove that autonomous cars can be just as big assholes as those driven by us human assholes. Now, let's take a look at some of the new cars we learned about this week. While we still haven't seen the forthcoming rebirth of the Toyota Supra yet, we may have learned some details this week thanks to a leaked document from Toyota's development partner, BMW. The new Supra will be the twin of the BMW Z4, so it makes sense that they will share a lot, including engines, which look to be a four-cylinder with about 250 horsepower and a six-cylinder with 335 ponies. Of course, it'll be rear-wheel drive, but uh, it doesn't look like there's a manual option for the Toyota uh, for purists. While the new NSX, which competed with the Supra in their last iterations, is a hybrid supercar aimed more at the ultra-premium segment, it's looking more and more like this new Supra may remain more true to its roots with no hybrid technology and a down-to-earth power plant that makes it a sports car for us norms, which is really refreshing. Uh, that said, we still have a lot to learn before we know uh, what it is and what it'll look like, and more importantly, how much it will cost. Uh, we also got some new news on new news on the new Nissan Leaf this week. That's a lot of news. Um, though we still haven't seen the final images of the next generation of the electric vehicle, if you were hoping for Nissan to come out with a legitimate contender to the Chevy Bolt and Tesla Model 3, I'm afraid you're going to be a little disappointed, as the new Leaf looks like it's going to continue its trend of having a smaller battery, lower range, and fewer features than the other tech-rich extended-range EVs currently coming to market. Uh, the good news is that it should be cheaper than all of those other options coming in at under thirty grand for the base model. Uh, Nissan has sort of carved themselves out a niche with the usable but not a total gas car replacement category of EV, but the news that Nissan is planning on using the new Leaf as a platform for other cars, including, predictably, a compact crossover, is a bit of a head-scratcher. Because for now, the, the Leaf remains a nice toy for people who already have another car or two. But how many novelty electric vehicles do people really need uh, in a lineup? And, I mean, that said, since it's a crossover, it'll probably still outsell the Leaf within days of going on sale. So, go figure. Um, if you're in love with the idea of the Dodge Challenger or Charger Hellcats, but simply are incapable of prying your hands off your beloved crossover there's great news uh, jeep has started selling its grand cherokee track hawk which utilizes the same 707 horsepower engine as the coupe and sedan i'm not sure who needs their suv to take just 3.5 seconds to get to 60 miles per hour or who needs a utility vehicle capable of hitting 180 miles per hour but it's here and can be yours for only eighty-seven thousand dollars which is a lot of money, but also fails to factor in the many thousands of dollars you will spend on tires that you shred accidentally by burning out at every single stoplight. Um, in obituaries this week, our first obituary is uh, for a car you may actually have never seen on public roads. Uh, and if you did, you may have mistaken it for an, a sort of enclosed golf cart. 
It's the Mitsubishi iMiev, uh, which was one of the first real road-going electric vehicles. But it proved extremely unpopular with buyers. Uh, part of this is down to the pretty poor 62-mile range paired with a 66-horsepower motor. And part of it was down to the fact that it looked like a sort of disowned child of a smart car in a Mercedes R-Class. Uh, chances are it uh, is not going to be too sorely missed. Um, something that will be missed, though, is uh, the country classic cars. Uh, uh, it's a sort of a local obituary for me. Uh, it's a car dealership just outside of St. Louis uh, that fell victim to a fire that burned one of its largest storage buildings containing between 100 and 150 cars, many of which were there on sale as consignments. Uh, which mean, meant other people own them. Uh, every time I drive to Chicago, I always try to. I always pass that place on I-55, and I always say, "Man, I need to stop there sometime." And I just, I still never have. Uh, while they still probably have 400 or so cars left in their inventory, they have a big sign outside saying 600 plus cars. Um, the the big building and huge supply of car corpses is a pretty sad loss and and really tough to look at. Uh, if you're looking for some classic American iron or an interesting project car, uh, even something special that you can't find somewhere else, they, they have all sorts there. Look up country classic cars in Staunton, Illinois, and see if anything in their remaining inventory strikes your fancy. Um, if you've got the money to spend, I'm sure they could use the help right about now. Uh, next week, uh, there's a lot of news this week about Mazda and uh, its new range of engines and an upcoming partnership with Toyota. Um, I haven't had a chance to distill all the information and, and read about it and write about it, so I'm going to be uh, probably looking at a deep dive on that next week. But this week, uh, I want to uh, end with a call to action that's just... I, I'd like you guys to tell me what you think of the show. Uh, no great existential crisis to address or or any sort of heavy self-reflection just send me an email tell me what you like about the show what what needs improvement i'm mull mulling over some uh, slight format changes and a few things to make sh the show a little snappier but i'd like to know if there are some things i should be doing and i'm not considering uh the difficulty with a podcast like this is that i i just do it because i love doing it and i enjoy writing and talking about cars so i just sort of pick the things that I like and would want to hear about. So what you dear subscribers and listeners are into could be completely different from me. And I want to be sensitive to that. So, um, I, I really want to hear from you guys this week. I, I never hear from anybody except, uh, the couple people who have said that they really liked my rant on the max AC button, which is still one of the worst things in, in, in cars. Uh, also, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, of course, I will happily take your money and say nice things about you. Uh, if nothing else, it'll make uh, this show a priority each week, even more than it already is. Uh, with that, I'll close up this week. Uh, so thank you for listening. Uh, thank you to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. I haven't decided on what I'm going to play as your moment of zen, so it's going to be a mystery to everyone, including me right now. But uh, here it is. Your moment of Zen.